Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, y'all, before we get started today, I want to remind you that in my real life, I'm helping people keep more of their own money at savewithconrad.com. I would love to see if I can help your family save some cash. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners save thousands of dollars each and every year, all because they spent just a few minutes with us over at savewithconrad.com. I'm talking to you if you're in a 30-year loan. I'm talking to you if you've got credit card debt. I'm talking to you if you've got a second mortgage. We can take care of all that just like that. We're going to get you a better interest rate. We're going to shorten your term and we're going to help you pay off all your credit card debt once and for all and do it all with cheaper monthly payments. That's right. You can get out of debt faster with cheaper monthly payments and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do it. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. And here's the thing, man, there's a chance that you've got a great deal. Maybe we couldn't save you any money, but wouldn't it be nice to just have that peace of mind of knowing you've got the best deal for your family? That's what my family can do. By the way, go check out some of our reviews at conradreviews.com. We've got an A plus rating with the BBB over a thousand five-star reviews and an average score of 4.72 stars. We're helping families just like yours get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Give me a call, 888-425-0105, or send me an email personally, conrad at savewithconrad.com. And let's get you saving some money right now at savewithconrad.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. And today, we're going to be taking a look at some of our best WrestleMania conversations. It's WrestleMania season, folks. And tomorrow night, WWE history will be made. I can't tell you how excited I am to finally see Sami Zayn challenge Roman Reigns in Montreal, of all places. I am seriously looking forward to that. I just assume that the hometown heroes welcome that Sammy is in store for 
could be reminiscent to that gigantic reaction that CM Punk got uh, back in 2011 in Chicago against John Cena. Man, can you imagine? The electricity will be in the air on Saturday. Seriously, I'm looking forward to this show about as much as I've looked forward to any WWE pay-per-view in a while. It feels like they've really started to hit a stride. Uh, I enjoyed the Royal Rumble. I'm fired up for Elimination Chamber, and I can't wait to see what they're doing at WrestleMania. Of course, this being pay-per-view week, things have been a little hectic for Bruce. So we're going to be remixing uh, some of our old episodes here to uh, bring us a little more WrestleMania talk. Get us in that mood. Bruce and I had every intention of recording this week, but boy, pay-per-view weeks can be long for our boy Bruce. So he's unavailable today. Uh, We are planning to uh, get together first of the week next week. So next week, we will have a brand new episode of Something to Wrestle. But in the meantime, man, let's get ready for a big elimination chamber. And after that, WrestleMania. What did I just do there? I don't know. I'm I'm fucking fired up about WWE for the first time in a while. I think they're doing a good job. And uh, I hope you guys think we did too on this very special edition of Something to Wrestle. I'm curious, when did you guys know the decision for WrestleMania is going to be Vince and Hogan? Obviously, by February and March, you knew. But when, I mean, did you know six months out, three months out? And who suggests Vince McMahon is the right opponent for Hulk Hogan? Well, for me, that was a big part of bringing Hulk back. Because as big as Austin and McMahon was... The idea was to get, you know, the the ultimate for nostalgia purposes would be Vincent Hogan because it was the the ultimate heel and Vince McMahon against the ultimate babyface from yesteryear in Hulk Hogan. And I thought it was important to get to that match. So in my head, we were always going to that. That was a big thing of getting Hulk back and, and pitching that idea. He wanted to do it he being Hulk wanted to do it fairly soon. And I was like, God, no build to this and let's get to, you know, let's get to WrestleMania with it. I thought it was a WrestleMania match. Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon. If you watch nothing from this show, after we've talked about it, you need to watch this. This is the match that seemed to be promoted as the main event of the show. And Hogan's career is on the line in this match. And of course, Hogan's out first and then Vince McMahon. And to my surprise, this is a more than passable match. I'm not going to say it's like a five-star clinic, uh, but I am going to say that these guys work their ass off and they proved that in order to get a lot of heat and to get the fans behind you and to tell a story, you don't have to use a hundred moves, but there is crazy shit going down in here. They're hitting each other with chairs. Everyone's bleeding. Vince McMahon's bleeding. Uh, they're setting up table spots. Vince McMahon climbs a fucking ladder and puts Hulk Hogan through a table. You hear me? Vince McMahon put Hulk Hogan through a table when he jumped off a goddamn ladder. Uh, but maybe with a leg drop with a leg drop. Cause you know, that's heat roll tide, but maybe the most iconic scene from this entire match. And you know what I'm going to bring up. You and I talked about off air because I, I asked how long did you guys practice or set up or ahead of time? Did you decide you wanted that Vince McMahon peeking over the apron with that devilish grin as his face is just covered in blood when he pulls the pipe out from under the ring. So he sees Hogan laying prone in the ring 
He's looking for a weapon to sort of finish him off. He finds a pipe. And when he peeks up, the camera catches every bit of it. It's like out of a Hollywood movie. And to my surprise, you said. Good camera work. It wasn't planned. No. So it was just the guys knew, you know, Hey, Vince is over there. Let's shoot and see what happens when he comes up. And Vince just happened to do it. And it happened to be caught on camera and it feels super set up, but you say, nay, nay, that was organic. And it just happened. 100% organic. That's Kerwin selfies. Great directing, uh, Stu or Marty or whoever the hell it was that got the shot and, you know, switcher in the, in the truck, seeing it, whoever pointed it out, say, Hey, watch Vince over here, get that camera there. And sometimes man, you get lightning in a bottle and that's what they did. Now you told us the story on the Roddy Piper episode, but we'll tell it again here briefly. Piper was not always part of the plan for this match. And you guys reached out just right before WrestleMania to sort of make the deal for him to appear here. Right. I called him the Friday night before and what are you doing? (laughs) I'm just sitting here and pitched the idea to him. It was something that Vince and I had talked about where we wanted to do. He felt the match with Hogan needed something and was looking for something from the outside to make it that, that big pop, that big moment being in Seattle, knowing that Piper lived in Portland, but also just when you look back at the eighties, who were those icons? It was Hulk and Roddy. I pitched Piper and Piper was not, you know, not a popular name. Um, not you know, one of Vince's first picks, uh, but people in the office, you know, Roddy could be somewhat difficult to work with at times. And I knew that anybody else would have poo-pooed it, but Vince listened and was like, call him and see if he's interested. And we did. He drove down, snuck him into the hotel, got him into the building. And like I said, people thought that he was there to do an appearance. Like he was going to be up in the, up in one of the boxes as one of the legends to sign autographs and hang out with people at the event. But, you know, I walked him out, put him in a, a trench coat, walked him out into the crowd, big hat on his head. And we stood and watched the match underneath the, uh, one of the sound trusses and sound areas there. And when it was time, I walked him to the ring, moved the security guard out of the way and got him in the ring. I don't think at that point, I don't even think Jim Ross knew he was a part of the match. Jim knew he was there, but was like, you know, what's he there? I said, talk to Vince, you know, and Vince was just like, don't, don't bother me now, Jr. I got a match to do, but I don't even think at that point, Jr. knew that he was involved in the match. So Piper comes into the ring. He's wearing a trench coat and a hat, takes the hat off, then the trench coat. Uh, the crowd pops, they know the story. This is back to WrestleMania one and Roddy picks up the pipe and he acts like he's going to hit Vince, but instead turns and hits Hogan. Then he blows his nose on Hogan and gets out of there. Uh, Vince crawls to Hogan, covers him. Hogan kicks out. Vince goes for the pipe, but referee Brian Hebner tries to stop him. So angry Vince throws Hebner out. He grabs the pipe again and motions for his referee, Sylvain, to come down. 
Uh, eventually referee Mike Sparks gets into it with Sylvan on the floor and Vince hits Hogan with the pipe and drops a leg on him, but only gets a two count and you know, what's coming. Hogan hulks up, delivers the three punches to uh, Sylvan and then tosses him to the floor. Vince tries to hit him with a double ax handle, but it's too much for Hulk. He's hulking up, man. Three punches, the boot, and then three leg drops gets him the pin. Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon with a handful of moves go nearly 21 minutes here in a damn entertaining match. And, uh, Shane comes down from the back to check on Vince or, and, uh, Hulk poses and there's no confrontation, uh, but it told a great story. And the story here is it only took one leg drop to beat Andre the giant, but it took three to beat Vince McMahon. <laughs> is that what the story was? <laughs> I'm just busting balls. I really enjoyed this match, man. You know, this is a great, uh, old school wrestling. Is it not? It was, it, it was classic. And like I said, it wasn't pretty, right? But it told a great story and they busted, I mean, they busted their asses. There were some of those shots, man. You look at some of those punches that Vince is throwing and hitting Hulk in the face and watching Hulk's reaction. Like Jesus, um, it was a it was a great story, man, all the way around, and it was something that it, it was nice to to get there. It was just so nice to get there, and then I wanted, you know, huh, which we'll talk about later on at some point. But you know, I wanted to get there with the hair match later on with the whole Mister America thing later on, but it didn't happen, and. That was just one of my, you know, that was a proud, happy moment for me because to, when you have something big like that and have it come off and they have the surprise of Roddy Piper in there, um, it was just some cool shit. It was some really cool shit. How was this WrestleMania different from others when Vince, who's normally sort of the puppeteer, is actually participating in a match? His day has to look a lot it, different, right? It does. And, and for... For those of us, you know, trying to run things, it, it becomes less stressful because he's worried about his match and, and you don't have him breathing down your neck and more stressful because he's, he's worried about everything. So it's, it's, you get both sides of it and I don't know which one is better, but for me on, on this day, I was running all over the place and I had one, like one of those little carts too, with a driver that would drive me everywhere. Cause it was just such a damn big building and I'm fat and I'm lazy. Um, but no, just running all over the place. It, it was, it was, uh, crazy. And he's sitting there, he's trying to get his match, but he's watching the show. And of course he has to nitpick every little thing. So it, it gets crazy, but at the same time, it's a little less stressful because you don't have him yelling and screaming at you. Let's talk about Vince. You know, he's in tremendous shape here. And one of the promos, it's kind of fun. He says, you know, for 20 years, I've often wondered, you know, who would win in a fight, me or Hulk Hogan. He told us a few years ago or a few episodes ago at a trade show, it was actually kicked around and discussed. What if he made a spectacle of himself at one of those nafty deals and he attacked Hulk Hogan? When this is a marquee match. And one of the featured matches or the money matches, as you called it earlier, how serious does Vince McMahon take the training? We can look at him and see that physically he's taking that serious, but from a wrestling standpoint, 
How serious is he training? Who with? How often? Where? Talk us through that. Vince is in the ring every day. And during this time, you know, he's in the gym, he's in the ring, he's training with my brother Tom in the studio. And he takes it very seriously because he doesn't want to be embarrassed and he, he wants to go out and put out the very best show that he possibly can and wants to show everybody that, Hey, I can do this. So he's putting everything into it that he, that he possibly can, um, up all night long, whether it's training in the ring or training in the gym, he's going to show everybody, you know, if I can do it at my age, you can do it at your age. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. You think this is Vince McMahon's best match ever? Um, you know that it's it's a toss up between. Can I guess some of the stuff he did with Steve? I was gonna I, guess I go you were gonna to say the, uh, Saint Valentine's Day Massacre in this. Thank you. Yes, the the blue cage, the big yeah. blue cage. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that those two are probably you know the 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 best Vince matches, defining big match moments for Vince. <laughs> Let's get to WrestleMania 10. I'm sure we're going to talk about this long form sometime, probably next year, uh, but we'll touch on, you know, while we're here, Shawn Michaels in 94 cannot be discussed without talking about March 20th, 1994 Madison square garden. Um, Dave Meltzer was raving about this match. We're going to read you part of what he says here. Shawn Michaels put on one of the greatest individual performances in the history of the business at WrestleMania 10 on March 20th in New York's Madison square garden to highlight what the consensus is the best pay-per-view show in WWF history. Michaels in one of his last shows with the company before going on what is a plan to be several month long sabbatical put on a performance that left just about everyone in wrestling in awe in his latter match loss to razor Ramon. The match, probably the best match ever on a WWF pay-per-view, somehow overshadowed one of the greatest matches in WWF history between Brett and Owen Hart that opened the show and a WWF title change with Brett's later regaining of the WWF title from Yokozuna in an average match on the evening's finality. The heart-heart match with Owen scoring the surprise surprise clean win to elevate him into the upper echelon appeared when it was over to be a strong match of the year candidate. And it was a tad better than the legendary steamboat savage WrestleMania three match, which has largely been considered the greatest match in WWF history because of the stronger finish and every bit as good work overall. Of course, razor gets the win here, uh, 18 minutes, 47 seconds, uh, pretty incredible match. Words can't really describe exactly how awesome this is. Meltzer would write, if you haven't seen this match, make sure you do it as it will be remembered for many years. Watch how ladder matches now become the hottest gimmick on the indie scene. Five stars. We've sort of made fun of the star rating or you have here on the show for a long time, but let's just pretend for a minute that star ratings were legitimate and something that you could co-sign. 
This has to be five stars, does it not? No, I'd give it 10. Well, it was that good. It was, there was nothing else to compare it to. And it, oh my God, go ahead, do a date stamp. Bruce agrees with Meltzer. Everything that he said, the match was phenomenal. It told a wonderful story. It had a climatic finish and was something that everybody, that was the standard. They, they set a bar that was almost impossible to, to top with that one match. It's really something that if you're a younger fan or maybe you're an older fan, you never saw it or you haven't seen it in a long time, you really should go out of your way to watch it again. I saw it again this week and I wasn't a wrestling fan. I wasn't watching when this happened. I had taken time away from wrestling, but when I got back in, I heard enough people talking about this. I went and found the VHS, popped it in. And I still remember where I sat when I watched it because it made such an impression. Like what the fuck is this? Uh, just an outstanding match. And I want to hear you know, sort of your take. I know you weren't there for WrestleMania three, but Dave has a little bit of a hot take here saying that he thinks this match is actually better than Savage Steamboat at WrestleMania three. Would you agree with that? I would. I would. It, you add the element of danger with the ladder and right. climbing for the championships. Um, not taking anything away from Savage and Steamboat, but if you made me pick one, I would pick the ladder match. Because I thought it was just a little more logical, I guess you could say. Both excellent matches in their own right. However, the drama in the ladder match, just by the virtue of having a ladder in the match, made it made it better to me. Yeah, really, really great stuff. Uh, we can't put it over enough. Let's just talk about what Sean wrote about it. He said that, uh, he and Scott were rushed around most of the day because of autographs and interview sessions. So they didn't have a lot of time to actually walk through things in the ring about the only thing they had time to do was climb the ladder. So the production crew would know exactly what height to hang the belts from. And we've never really talked about that here on the show, but that seems like that's a fucking pretty important detail. Is it not? <laughs> well, yes, yes, it is. And it, it's a detail. It's little things like this going on in the nineties that, you know, TNA many years later would forget where they would just, well, we hung it there last time. Okay. But the guys that worked there last time were two feet taller than the guys that are working in it this time. Um, yeah. Important, important detail. And you know, it's funny because we never really talked about it before. And I don't even know that I really knew this before. I think I may have just assumed that this is actually the first time they worked this ladder match, but they had worked it more than a half dozen times before they get here. So they had time to sort of build their WrestleMania match, which makes all the sense in the world. And, and we shouldn't be surprised by, however, I do wonder that means they had to go to the trouble of having someone in production, hang the belt at a house show. From, you know, whatever's above the ring every single time. That doesn't seem like a big deal at a big pay-per-view show, but it seems like a really big deal to do that on the house shows. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> really, it, it, requ all it, it requires is a rigging guy there to run a cable and lower the belt at the right time. But on house shows, a lot of times what they would do is they would pre-hang the belt. So they would hang it and it would be up there the entire night in the early inceptions of the ladder matches we didn't have the big presentation of bringing the championship down and hanging it 
early on, that belt would be hanging up there all night long until the match. Well, you know what though, in a weird way that probably built even more anticipation for the match. I mean, people got to look at it all night and talk about True it, that. speculate and yeah. really build it up. Uh, True that. Sean would write when we made it to the back, we knew we had stolen the show. We didn't know that we had set a new standard. We just knew we had a great match. Soon everyone else started putting the match over. And that really gave us the sense that we'd done something out of the ordinary, but the icing on the cake was when gorilla monsoon told us, I think I may have seen the greatest match I've ever seen gorilla monsoon of all people. He'd been with the company since its inception in 1960. He wrestled for over 20 years and then went on to become a great announcer and front office person. He garnered more respect than just about anyone else in the history of the business. And he was very old school. He appreciated ring psychology and wasn't into gimmicks like ladders. It was his compliment of compliments because he didn't give out many. My mentors had always told me it didn't matter if you won or lost only that you put on a great match. I'm sure they were proud of their student. I lost the match, but I think I just made my career. People began to look at me in a different light. So you were there that night, Bruce, when these guys come back through the curtain, what's the reaction? Uh, all. Just absolute awe of the match. You know, and there, there's another side to it. I'll give you my reaction because I was pissed. I was livid. They had gone so heavy on time and trying to time the show. We had another match that was supposed to take place. It was a 10-man tag team match that we had to cut from the show because this match had gone so long. Um, but I couldn't even be pissed off at that because the match was so friggin' good. So what would you rather have had? Would you rather have had a 10 man match, got everybody on the WrestleMania card, or would you rather have had that match, that ladder match that just stole the show and blew everything else on the card away? Did Vince's feelings on Sean change that night? I think, I think somewhat they did. I think that there was a new appreciation or respect for Sean after that. Um, because Sean, in my opinion, I think Sean was the leader in the match and Sean was the one that really put it all together and make it sing takes two to tango. And he had a great dancing partner and razor Ramon. Um, but again, I just can't say enough great things about that match and the, the whole execution of it and making what we now, you know, kind of look at almost commonplace with is a ladder match. A uh, friend of ours, Mr. Ric Flair has often joked that at WrestleMania 10, Shawn Michaels wrestled a ladder. Uh, he <laughs> said, he says that tongue in cheek, but how many other guys were sort of insinuating that Sean was the breakout star here and Sean was putting on a show and razor was just sort of there. Well, Sean, Sean was the breakout star here, but razor definitely pulled his weight in this match and he was a great dancing partner, but yeah, Sean definitely stole the show and Sean was one. Everybody was talking about at the end of the night. You know, it's, it's sort of fun to talk about how Brett, Sean and Owen's careers sort of run at the same time here, where you've got a night where you're really making Brett and in the process you make Owen, but you also make Sean Michaels. If Sean and Razor had not been on this card and had not had this ladder match, would we still be talking about Owen and Brett much like we do the vein of Savage Steamboat WrestleMania three? 
Absolutely. And to me, it was also the same night Owen Hart's breakout performance as well. It's, so, yeah, I mean, Owen, Owen delivered that night and let everybody know that he was the best, the best worker in the Hart family that night. Owen has to be a little disappointed knowing that this is going to be really his sort of breakout night, but all anybody's really talking about is Shawn Michaels. I don't know if that's all anybody was talking about. It was both great, but without a doubt, the ladder match stole that show. Uh, Let's get back to the Ultimate Warrior, though. You guys did a really great job building this up here. Uh, If you think back to kind of how this all started, uh, Macho Man attacks the Ultimate Warrior on main event, and then Sherry appears at the Royal Rumble during an interview segment with the Warrior and begs for a title shot for Macho Man. Uh, later in the night, she distracts the Macho Man, uh, or she distracts the Warrior, and Macho Man sneak attacks him during his match with Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, a few minutes later, uh, back when they're you know back ringside, Macho Man really lays it in with a scepter shot on the head of the Warrior, allowing Slaughter to get the pin and become the world champion. And so they start to promote this as the first time ever. Uh, for a career-ending match in the WWF. Do you remember a career match prior to this in the WWF, or is this just the first big-time one on pay-per-view? Not that I remember. It was, it was the first first one on big-time pay-per-view, that's for sure. So who who pitches this idea? Do you remember? Well, Randy was, you know, looking to take some time off. He had, he's fresh on a broken thumb here. I don't know if you remember that, but he had just broken his thumb. He's got two pins in there. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I don't recall that, but Randy was, was definitely looking for some time off and to take a break and he'd been running hard. And so when you say take a break, he just wanted to come off the road for a little bit and be a spokesman for the company. He wanted to do commentary or do you remember what the real plan was at this time? I think at the time it was to be a spokesman, but actually at the time was for him to take some time off and get away from the business for a little while and then come back and be a spokesman. And then, you know, I, I don't know that it was ever necessarily one of the things i hate about stipulations like this is i don't think that it was ever really the intention that randy was going to retire and be gone forever there was always the thought that well he'll be back yeah Meltzer. uh i know you love this but jesus he suggested that you know maybe one of the ideas would be there would be like a letter writing campaign to get macho man reinstated and you guys would request you know if you'd like for him to be reinstated send your, you know, note to blah, 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 as a way to capture addresses for mailing addresses. So you guys could send them catalogs and stuff and market stuff. And he certainly did something like that, uh, the year before with the tugboat Hulk Hogan situation. Yeah, definitely. We did do that. Whose idea was that? Cause that's, what? that's pretty genius. I would imagine probably Vince's. I don't know. That's, that's a really, really great idea. Bob Collins, Vince. I don't know. Okay, so uh, let's get into the match. Sherry and Macho Man are carried out on thrones for this. It's a pretty cool spectacle. Any memories uh, of that idea or maybe funny stories of carrying them around? Maybe mishaps or guys who went on to be something like Cena was with Punk at that one WrestleMania? Or DDP was for the Honky Tonk Man? I don't think any of the guys that carried Randy out that night went on to any kind of stardom, but it was... You know, the, the sedan, as we called it. The sedan. Yes, it was a sedan. and um, It looked heavy. 
It was. It was heavy without anybody on it. Yeah. And then you add two human bodies on it, and it, it got a uh, little tricky sometimes. And those guys were always afraid for their life that they may dump Randall or Sherry somewhere. And Randall. Randall. Randall Bibbith. Uh Warrior trunks have been a topic of debate here. Uh, for a long time amongst us fans, the rumors and innuendo uh, on the back of his trunks that night were the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight title, and the words means much more than this. And a lot of people said that that was a way of taking a dig at him either not being in the main event or the title picture or trying to stress that his match was more important. Dig or no dig? Well, I think it's silly that anyone would even think it's a dig. Because you're talking about the context of the match. You're talking about someone's career versus a championship. And giving importance to that match, his career meant more than a championship. Right. So it was just simply, in the context of the match, the career and the the warrior and all that to him was much more important than a belt or a championship. That's all it meant. Uh, this is the first time we saw the Ultimate Warrior wear a duster that I remember. Uh, and commentary makes a really big deal about his knee pads having a picture of Macho Man's face on one and his on the other. Um, is this a little bit of a ripoff of Rick Rude? Rick Rude really made this famous, having airbrushed gear custom for the match. That's what kind of this felt like to me. Would you disagree? I don't know. The, the, yeah, I don't know. I mean, okay, this is fun. Uh, so Sherry was decked well, out. Well, I know. I mean, you're asking, you're asking me, was I in Jim Hellwig's head to know that he was going to get back at Rick Rude and go to an airbrush? I never, said, I never said it was getting back at. I wanted to know if the boys thought, oh, he's doing the Rude gimmick. It was kind of his gimmick at the time. Was he there? Was he there? Fuck this. Was uh, he so, there? No, he had gone. No. So it wasn't his gimmick there anymore, so... He okay. wasn't there for anybody to compare to. And, you know, Rob Van Dam did it. So was Rob Van Dam a rip off, rip off of Rick Rude? Yes. Okay. Glad we had this talk. Um, he didn't, Rob Van Dam didn't wear his opponent's stuff and make match-specific stuff. Okay. All right. Never mind. This isn't so much fun sometimes. Sherry was decked out this night. Feel and, my uh, pain. <laughs> I always thought she never got her just due. Uh what can you, as somebody who was there, testify that Sherry really meant to the matches? Oh, Sherry was great. The boys, if you ask any of the boys who they'd rather work with, all of them would rather work with Sherry Martell. She was... Rather than... You rather said, than rather. anybody. Okay. <laughs> you know, you could have a match with Sherry. She'd sell and make you sell, and it'd be believable. But Sherry was a huge integral part of the the macho king and the queen sensational queen sherry she just was great at everything she did she added to that package she reacted to every little thing and accented the match and didn't steal from it uh these guys would wrestle the next year at SummerSlam, and uh looking back at this match i still think this particular match is the best match of the Ultimate Warrior's career. Would you agree with that? Probably so. Probably the best match Warrior ever had. So I want to kind of talk about some of the match. Um, 
cool spot here. Randy does a crossbody. Warrior catches him, but stands him up and then slaps him. Uh, it really added to the story that, you know, Warrior's the bigger, stronger guy. And around this time, Gorilla starts really reiterating this is the largest pay per view audience in the history of pay per view. There's no way he would have known that at that point, right? This is just a line from Vince. I'm sorry, you're asking me to tell you what line Vince gave? No. You know what that was in reference to was we were broadcasting that to the troops oh, I see. all over the world. So the audience was the largest audience because of the the number of troops and where we were broadcasting. We broadcasted it for, for free on the uh, armed forces radio or, yeah. or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We broadcasted it live all over the world, and so the audience – was huge um, as far as pay-per-view buys. No, at that time, we're, it was WrestleMania 5. We're never getting away from the way you split hairs here, just so you know. Well, no, the audience I, was the largest. I get that. It was because we were broadcasting. What we, does it sound like we're talking about right now, though? It sounds just like attendance and tickets No, it's, it's that's what you choose to pull out of it. He said it was the largest pay-per-view audience, and you're saying, well, was well, it pay-per-view? You didn't say pay-per-view buys? So there's a large pay-per-view How is a pay-per-view if no one's paying? Because that's what we refer to them as. So. That's how I, we refer to, that's how we refer to the events. It's a pay-per-view event. Okay. So because it's a pay-per-view event. Should have just been was, a purview. It was broad. There's no pay. So. He should have just said, this is, this is the largest purview audience in the history of purview. But it wasn't. Yeah, anyway. it was. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Uh, Sherry's wearing some super revealing stuff here. And I think around this time, she started to really push the edge with some of her outfits, you know, thongs and stuff like this. Is it fair to say this is like the precursor for the attitude era? There was a series of matches here where she would be stripped down to bra and panties and stuff like that. And that was kind of pushing the edge here for WWF at the time. Do you remember that being a conscious decision and who would have been the person who says, uh, well, we show a little cheek here, pal. Well, a lot of that usually was Sherry <laughs> volunteering it. Um, but I don't think there was necessarily a conscious effort to go, let's do brawn panties. Um, as a matter of fact, it was probably the, the other way, kind of shying away from that. Right. Um, but I know Sherry always used to like to do that. And I never liked the, you know, the guys putting their hands on women anyway. In general, that's tough to sell. It's, yeah. it's just a tough sell. I don't care where you are and what you're doing. Heel, baby face. That was always the excuse. Well, she's a heel. So it's okay to do whatever you want to. to <laughs> Whose excuse was that? That's everybody's excuse. It would okay. be the talent's excuse to say, well, she's a heel. You can go ahead and get away with it. And because the audience popped, it's it's okay. She's a heel. It's right. okay. I just, I just never liked it. But, you know, sometimes they, they did it. Warrior uh, pushes Sherry here uh, when they're on the outside. Pushes her pretty hard and pushes her down, and it's not even addressed at the time. So they're, what you're saying holds water. Well, what's, is this the first time you remember this many finishing moves being used over and over and over and not finishing? It feels a lot like now you see guys hit a move a dozen times and then they still kick out. But back in those days, it, it was, was it was unique because usually when a guy hits his finisher, that's you know, it. that was it, and you worked to the finish. And these guys wanted to do something different and, you know, career match that they wanted to make it special and just be able to, you know, go out and 
make it different. Uh, it's time for the pin now, and uh, after all these finishing moves, Warrior wins with just a foot on the chest for the pin. Your thoughts? Hated it. Kind of thought it was disrespectful to to Randy Savage, the performer. I thought it was disrespectful to Randy Savage, the man. I also believe that it was probably Randy Savage's call, knowing Randy and knowing how Randy was a firm believer of win him in the ring, lose him in the ring. You win him one, two, three, you lose him one, two, three, right in the middle. And I could see Randy basically anointing the warrior and saying, you know what? Beat me, stand over me, and be the man. Because well, Randy knew what was coming afterwards. So it was it was simply um, simply a way to get Warrior over. As if that's not enough, Warrior takes a victory lap around to the corners and then again comes back to the center to put a foot on the chest, uh, this time posing with the duster on. It just seems a little disrespectful to not only pin him with one foot, but to make a victory lap, uh, throw your shit on, and then do it again. Well, it is to me, and I think that the talent at the time, here I am defending Warrior, I think the talent at the time, everybody knew what was going to happen next and felt that Randy was going to have his moment at the end. So get your moment now and then move on, and Randy gets his moment at the end. And it did work. It did. It did work. But as you and I watched it, I even told you that when we were watching it, I thought that was, it, it rubbed me wrong. I knew what was going to happen. What? Um, I'm curious the thinking that goes into the what happens next. Sherry attacks the Macho Man after the match. She's upset that he's lost, seemingly, you know, because of the impact it'll have on her career. And then, of course, Liz, who they showed in the crowd uh, a good ways away from the ring, two rows back down uh, the aisle. Um, she comes to the rescue and throws Sherry out of the ring by her hair, and the crowd goes nuts for them to reunite. Women in the crowd are crying everywhere, and then they reunite, and he uh, embraces her, puts her up on the shoulder, and then when it's time for them to leave, he used to make her hold her ups open for him, and this time he opens them real big for her. And the replay they show on the pay-per-view isn't of the match at all, but it's of him picking her up. So he started the match as a heel, worked as a heel, uh, you know, cheating and chairs and all this stuff. But then Liz come ba- comes back to him, so now he's a babyface. Has this ever happened before? It's a pretty interesting dynamic that a guy can, you know, start as a heel and work as a heel the entire time, but because a woman likes him, he's a babyface. Well, I mean, it really damn, speaks they, to they, the power they of Liz. Were, well, it spoke to the power of the couple. Mm-hmm. It spoke to the, to the package of, of Randy and Elizabeth through the years. That was a unit that, God, you know, I mean, they were iconic. Um, huge heels, huge baby faces, and... Liz was never really a heel. No, but but she managed Randy as, yeah. as a heel, and as a package, they were heels. And it just was, um, you know, come on, man, they were iconic, and... and Everyone loved Liz. She said, even as a heel, they loved Liz. And it was a way to bring them back together. And and what people don't know is how devoted Randy Savage was 
to the business and to the angle when he and Liz split on camera. Randy and Liz in real life were married and got a separation, a legal separation. Wow. So that if anybody, you know, would say, oh, well, they're really married. No, they're not. That was Randy's dedication to his art and everything that he did. And... Jesus Christ, why we got to do this shit? Um, last week, we were talking about Eddie and stuff, and now and I told you, and I, I, I apologize, folks. The visual of, of Randy and Liz and Sherry all in the ring together, um, you know, throw Warrior in there, and, and they're all gone now, uh, was powerful. And it's even more powerful now when you sit there and you watch that and you see them and knowing how much Randy loved Liz and vice versa, that to watch that and you're talking about people crying, man, I, I cried that night, you know, when it happened. It was a work. It was a beautiful story. But it was also those two coming back together and and, and it was a beautiful story. And it was, um, was what it was, but it worked and onward and upward. What do you think made, um, Liz so special? There's never really been a character like her since. She's quiet, classy. Didn't have to say a lot. Didn't say a lot. And she was... Beautiful woman, but she also was like that uh, girl next door. So I think she was really relatable and um, easy to like. So listen, by now, a lot of us have realized that there's not really a quick fix for anxiety or depression. It's not finding a new therapist or starting an exercise routine. It's not more or regular medication or even a better diet. Sometimes you need to unlock your brain. A new way of thinking about and seeing the world. And maybe that thing is guided ketamine therapy with Mindbloom. But there's a new tool to improve your mental health at home ketamine therapy. Mindbloom is the leader in at home ketamine therapy, having safely helped thousands of people overcome their anxiety and depression. Unlike traditional talk therapy, ketamine works quickly and it doesn't have the unpleasant side effects of traditional antidepressants. In a study of more than 1,200 Mind Bloom clients, 89% reported improvements in their anxiety and depression after only two sessions. Right now, Mind Bloom is offering our listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at mindbloom.com/wrestle and use the promo code Wrestle. Take the first step and break free from your anxiety and depression with Mind Bloom. Mindbloom.com/wrestle and use the promo code wrestle. It's the main event of WrestleMania 17. It's the rock. It's stone cold, Steve Austin. It's 2001 in Houston in a dome. So if you haven't already fire up your WWE network, watch along with us. It's WrestleMania 17 from April 1st, 2001. Bruce, this is, uh, probably your favorite WrestleMania just because it was in your hometown, right? Well, it's my favorite WrestleMania because it was in my hometown because I participated in it. And the main event was something in the build up to this was probably one of the greatest builds for WrestleMania. 
ever, uh, especially at that time. So it was a huge event, sold out, and just a tremendous atmosphere all the way around. Well, we're going to have fun watching this one. Fire up your WWE network, go to three hours, five minutes, and 30 seconds. Again, it's WrestleMania 17, 2001. The time cue we're going to for the main event is three hours, five minutes, and 30 seconds. That's 3.05.30. And Bruce, uh, if you'll give us a countdown, we'll get going on this one, man. All right. When I say play, uh, hit your buttons there, folks. Here we go. In three, two, one, play. So you take a look at the beautiful Astrodome in Houston, Texas. Uh, A year later, this place would be completely closed and shut down for the foreseeable future, and not much else has ever happened in there since. So it was a big deal for the WWE. And funny story about the, the WrestleMania. See, the WrestleMania X7, how you don't see them? That was a compromise because that shit actually went a lot higher, but it blocked an additional 20,000 seats. And they didn't find that out until the day before the event and had to have compromises to be able to get that thing in there. And Stone Cold Steve Austin coming down to hometown crowd. And he's the challenger here. It's kind of interesting as well. Don't mess with Texas. Don't mess with Stone Cold. In the build-up to this thing, man, we had bought a uh, world champion steer for $660,000 at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo leading up to this. Set a record there as well. So a lot of records being set here. Why'd y'all buy that 600 grand cow? It's a long story, but Mattress Mac, Jim McInvale, who was a sponsor, Gallery Furniture, um, helped us out with that. And one of the biggest things to do all year at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, the big prestige deal is when they auction off the grand champion steer at the end of the rodeo. And we went ahead and bought that son of a bitch and had Steve Austin and Mattress Mac there to bid on it and pay damn near a million dollars for it. Well, a little over half a million. Look at the flash bulbs everywhere. That's one thing I miss about wrestling. The the good old days here, the flash bulbs are going off everywhere. It was, it was such a great atmosphere. And you know, the old days, you know how they did that? They had little like lights hanging from from the rafters that you could barely see that would shoot off. So it wasn't actually flashbulbs. A lot of times in the olden days, it was just lights that we would flash, make them look like flashbulbs. Here are their flashbulbs. When were you doing, um, gimmicked flashbulbs? God from 19, probably from 1985 up until, they may still hang them today. Well, I thought you said these were real. These are real. You can tell because of where they're coming from and you can't recreate that same thing in a dome like this. It's hard to do in an arena. It's much easier to do. And then you put the star filter on those cameras and it makes them look even better. 
So Bjorn Nelson, dude, it's your match, man. And Stone Cold's getting it off, starting this damn thing off nice and hot. Um, Boy, they were ready for this shit, man, I'll tell you. The build-up to this with the um, the My Way remake from Limp Biscuit is still the music video I think a lot of wrestling fans talk about as being one of the best packages for a match ever. And there was such a great rivalry with Austin and Rock that it, it made it all that much more, and people were not disappointed. Uh, you know, We just did the show where we talked about one of their first big matches, which was for the Intercontinental title. And now, several years later, the two biggest stars in the industry. Yeah, we, we've covered WrestleMania 15 before, which is their first WrestleMania match. And this is their second. Uh, and I think we've covered their last one with 19 as well. Of the three, 15, 17, 19, odd years only, baby. Wh- which do you prefer? The first one. Really? Yeah. You know, th- this one was great but for me i hate i i didn't hate um i just was not a big fan of the of the steve austin turn here and mr mcmahon nobody was just wasn't a big fan of it and i knew that we had to get there somehow i just felt it was out of nowhere too soon without uh enough meat behind it to get to the turn. There's a lot of meat behind it, a lot of story, but I just felt that the, it needed more time for the turn. It seems like we went, we went out into, <laughs> you know, Vince had this thing about going out into the crowd and not being able to go out there without a lot of security and people knowing and what have you. But we did, we did some stuff with Undertaker and Triple H at the Fan Fest where we went. We fought all the way through the Fan Fest, through the crowd. And then, of course, we did crowd stuff here. And it was always a cringing moment because you're always looking around and making sure and hoping that no one is going to get hurt or hit by a, an errant elbow or fist or kick or anything like that. Right. back in the ring and by God, you know, the thing I loved about both of these guys matches, if you watch them, it's perpetual motion. Even when they're down selling, they're moving. Austin coming off and here he has his, his run forest run, uh, braces on both knees. Run, Forrest, run. Austin and Rock by this time, by God. Um, it, it was it was really scary, the popularity here of these two. No matter where you went, no matter what you did, um, people knew them and were clamoring to them. Conrad, would you want to take one of those? No, I'm going to pass on, on anything inside the ring. I think I'm just going to stick to podcasting if that's okay. But if you had a dashiki on, would you give one of those? Okay. So you're not on the taking end. Would you give one? 
Nope. Don't want to do anything in the ring. I'm, I'm a podcaster. Oh, hell. Tell you what though, I'll do it. If you take a uh, ultimate warrior, press slam, clothesline splash. I'd take it from anybody, but the ultimate warrior. No, I, and I've already, and I've already taken all those. Yeah. We'll take them again. I've already done it. Well, you don't know what I've done. I do. Cause you told me you haven't done it. Uh, ask your mom what I've done. My mom is dead. Well, let's dig her up. Let's ask her. No, she's already cremated and spread out over the Pacific. Did Kane do that? No, Okay. no. I don't mean your cane. I mean, that's gotta be Kane. No, it was Paul bear. Oh, there you go. See, he's probably more qualified to do such. Well, you know, you know, I always kind of forget when I say cane that you have a cane too, that you're used to hearing cane every day. Yeah, this is true. And then, uh, spending time with Kane recently, the big red machine cane was probably threw you off that. a little, didn't it? It did. Yes, it did. You're not Kane. I got a cane at the house. You're not Kane. Yeah. My cane references these days are to a 19 year old smart ass. What's he up to these days? Besides being a smart ass. Um, just going to school and being a smart ass. Pretty much all a 19 year old, uh, going to college has to do. I love rock talking down Hebner and Hebner trips over the steps and falls. And then rock trips over the same <laughs> steps and falls. And here we go. The, the bell to the head looks like, uh, it was a distraction. You don't think rock's going to come up busted open. Do you? I don't know. That was a pretty serious shot. And there's the rocks mama right there. And his brother-in-law now manager. Oh, that's his brother-in-law. So that's, uh, yeah. that's Danny Garcia's brother. Yeah. That's cool. Yep. Head of seven bucks productions. That would be the production company of the rock. Oh my God. He's been severely lacerated. Oh man. Good God almighty. I hate when that happens. Well, it happens sometimes, man. Don't bust up that pretty face. Excuse me, sir. Please, I've got to get my notes and my diet coat to preserve my beautiful figure. My good sir. By the way, I know that most everyone listening to this probably would say that raw, not raw, but Ross and Lawler are their favorite commentating duo. Can I just tell you, I really enjoyed Paul Heyman. I think Heyman Ross is underrated. I think that Paul Heyman challenged Ross a lot more than King ever did. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Heyman and Ross, they were a great team. They were a good team when they were in WCW. Yeah, I really dig it. Now Austin turning it up and I, you know, I think that there was, you would be hard pressed to find one person in that audience that didn't think Austin was going to win on this night. Yeah. I mean, he's the hottest act there is. And those punches hurt by God. All of them. Uh, most of them. Yeah. Most of them. Steve threw good punches, but I think most people would say that they were, uh, 
They were right there. They landed. Who had the Stone. Wor- who had the worst working punch? The idea being, um, goddamn kid, hit me with as hard as you can in the face. Your working punches are killing me. God, there were a bunch of them. Uh, Warrior had Warrior had terrible one. Um, there there were some guys that would look at it like a lot of people would criticize Rock's punch, his spit punch, because it it was more of a slap than anything, and it wasn't really a punch. Um, some guys would criticize Jake's punch. I thought Jake threw a great punch, but the guys that, that would hurt you with some of their stuff, Nikolai Volkov was like lead. Really? When, yeah. Yeah. Nikolai would, Nikolai would hit you. Vader, his were brutal and pretty heavy. Um, but during this era, you know, you had, it was all about the attitude era. It was all about laying that shit in. That's, that's what got Steve over. Steve, you couldn't see through his stuff, and he would lay those punches and kicks in for the most part. You won't be on top, kid. Got to be able to take it. But 75,000 people in this building, man, was pretty damn cool for me. Austin being relentless, you know, it was, uh, I think, you know, Steve knowing and not really so much even so that he was, he was already turning heel. Steve always worked like a heel anyway, you know, even as a baby face. But I think that Steve here, knowing where he's going was, was just trying to turn it up even more so. Rock with a beautiful clothesline, Austin down selling. Now, and everybody, you know, still to this day, I think that the, uh, you know, best match on the card was obviously the gimmick battle royal that I should have won. Listen to you. What? What was your favorite match on the card? I just can't believe you would say that out loud. What, that I should have won or that it was best match on the card? Either. Well, hell. Corny and I tore that damn place down. And then me and Michael Hayes and the goon. That was a big, big time rivalry. Can't even listen to you. The ring bell coming back into the ring. It's already been a part of the match on the outside, but now Rock's got it. He's got to return the favor. Need to change the color of Steve's face here. And if he hits him, connects. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Steve's face is a crimson mask. Talk to me about this. How's the referee okay with what's happening here? He takes a little bit of leniency. And I believe, actually, before this match, and this is the shit that used to just kind of get to me a little bit. And. And I had, I was resigned to it by this point. But if you go back to the early Attitude Era with with Russo and some of the stuff, and Russo was not here during this time, had nothing to do with it, not blaming him at all. I am blaming him for originally allowing, allowing us to get to this point. But it would be, the guys would get there, and they would lay out a match, 
and the match would be all this gaga all over the place with you know be out of the ring for three four five minutes and use a bunch of gimmicks and all this other shit and i would say why aren't they being counted out why aren't they being disqualified and pat would look at me and go ah just make it to no dq fuck it and that would make everything all right so a lot of times we would just slide in you know right before match you know uh President Jack Tunney or whoever the hell it was at that time uh, has made this match an ODQ match. And then they could do whatever the hell they wanted. But we didn't We didn't have, if you're going to do that, to me, those should be special and you should promote it and build up to it. Right. It's, instead, it was just the match. You know what I mean? But Austin bleeding like a stuck pig, by God. And let's see if they go back out in the audience now. See, I always hated the referee coming outside with the guys. You can't score a pinfall out there. You can't make someone submit outside the ring. But the referee's still out there. Rock writhing in pain by God. Earl saying, damn it, Bruce is yelling at me, telling y'all to get back in the ring. Really? That's what you're doing right here? No, probably not, because I was brother love that night. I was a big star. I was I was resting up <laughs> I was resting up <laughs> from exerting all that in- energy in the uh gimmick battle royal. I was actually probably still standing there. My brother loves stuff watching this match. And now we've got the Spanish announce table, the English announce table and everything in between all completely destroyed at ringside. You know what I do miss nowadays at ringside though? What's that? (sighs) Ah, The Fink. Everybody does. I just so, you know, and and I I look back and I go and I know that we always had fun at Fink's expense, but I really miss seeing Howard in the ring, seeing him at ringside and, and hearing his announcements. He was the best man, part of all of our childhood. And then you also notice that the chairs are just, uh, those are just stadium chairs there versus the big, nice, comfy office swiveling wheelie chairs that they have now. Did you say swiveling wheelie chairs? Yeah. You're just making up words. No, the swivelly wheelie chairs, you know, they're on wheels and they're swivelly. Yeah. Those aren't, those aren't, those aren't English words. Yeah, they're made out of plush pleather. You know. Double finger salute. By God, Rock going to the Scorpion death lock. Because Steve looks so damn good when he's a bloody mess in the Scorpion. Can you imagine that happening today? Going back to double, double juice and double guys bleeding here 
and shooting it. Nope, folks, it ain't going to happen today. Rock barely having the hold on, trying to keep Austin in the middle of the ring. Steve getting up so everybody can see his face and sell. Cheer for me, Steve. Crawl, you bastard. Who did you think was going to win this some bitch? I thought the rock was going to win. Why? Well, just because stone cold took the first one. Ah, very good. So I just assumed. Well, he won last time. So you gotta let the other guy win. That's right. Cause it's wrestling mania. Yeah. Hell. Nice little spots there, man. You know, going through this and just seeing all the different machinations, the double fuck use. Now, Austin going to the Scorpion. Now, let's see if we can get that same shot from Rock. Can he arch his back the same way? I don't know that he had as much experience as Steve did arching his back. There you go. Look at the pain. Look at the crimson mask. Ah, ah, dude, recreating WrestleMania 13 in a big way. Are they not on both sides, man? That's beautiful. And now rock showing, well, by God, I'll get up and I'll give you even more and better. Yeah, I guess when I look back and I think of the story about this match going all the way through it. And you think of Vince coming out and yes, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but I, you know, when you're talking about it and you're planning everything out for the, for the future and laying this thing out, it sounds so much better when you're, you're thinking about it until you actually see it happen. And that's when I went, Oh fuck, I don't like it. Baby Earl, you know, a couple years ago, Earl just would have called for the bell. That's what he does. Sometimes people are in the, the damn scorpion. The Astrodome never looked prettier folks. I gotta tell you, I didn't know. That this thing wasn't really used much more than that. I remember it being, you know, a site for Katrina refugees when people were in real trouble in Louisiana that they were camping out there. But I didn't know outside of that, it really had a pretty limited history. But I guess, you know, with that new Texas Houston or the Houston Texans stadium opening up right next door, Reliant, maybe that made sense. Yeah, it did, but this was still such a, you know, for so many years, they call it the eighth wonder of the world. It was the first dome stadium, and it was a, a huge deal that a lot of people just never wanted to see it come down and really fought to keep it going. And now there's there seems like there's a bill every time you vote on what to do with the Astrodome. 
they still haven't decided all these years later. What are we 17 years later? What to do with the damn thing? Oh, it's kind of fun right there. Cause that was the finish of survivor series, 1996 with Bret Hart and stone cold, Steve Austin. Of course, before that at WrestleMania eight with Roddy Piper and Bret Hart. And they tried it there. And I'm a big fan of that spot. The sleeper hold, the push off in the corner and Hey, it's a pin now. Exactly. In Austin measuring his punches, man. God, and uh, there you go. Rock with Stone Cold's finisher, man, hitting him with his own damn finish. This has got to be it. It's got to be. And I forget what, what movie Rock was going to after this. I think this was... Uh, where he went and did the football movie right after this. No. No? What'd he do? Probably Scorpion King. Uh, you did Scorpion King after this? Okay, cool. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm just guessing. Scorpion King came out in 02. I think he'd already done it. Yeah. Here comes Mr. Mac, man. I don't know why Vince liked to work in jeans. So you think the movie that he was taping here is Gridiron Gang that came out four years later or Game Plan that came out six years later? I think it was Game Plan. The, the one with the little girl in it. Okay. I think is the one so, he was doing here. Okay. So that movie came out in 2007, but you think he taped it in 01. Got it. Yeah, I do. Because okay. it was it didn't come out right away. But I don't know. He went away to do a movie after this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wrong, but I'm not admitting it. Shut up, Conrad. No, I'm not. It could be anything. He did a lot of movies that came out like three and four years later. Oh, but this one was six years, but that's still fine. Right? Yeah. yeah. A lot of movies come out six and eight years later. Okay, cool. Sometimes 20. Yeah, I yeah. got it. I understand. All right, then. So the eight-year-old girl who was in this, by the time it was time to do media, she was 15. But that makes sense, right? Yes. Now you're following. Yeah. Now everybody knows that the fix is in. Austin's going to get fucked. Master Mac man's out there. Did you say master Mac man? Well, if it's, if it's Mr. Mac man, then it can be master Mac man. Uh-oh. What the hell? Oh, no. Ah, oh, no. So McMahon slides in and pulls the rock's foot to where he pulls him off of the cover. And now the rock and McMahon are locking eyes. Like what the fuck is going on? And the audience is happy because they think that McMahon is turning baby face here. It's always funny to watch Vince run too. Comes in right into rock a rock bottom. bottom. The rock gave him a lot there. Oh no. Watch it. He's got him. In. Oh. Are you okay? No. 
Well, yeah, the, you know, it's 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 it's, again, the, the, it's like yeah, it's it's yeah, frustrating. Yeah, I like fucking with the audience, but they so badly wanted Steve to win this, and they're they're thinking they're happy if Vince is turning babyface, but they're confused right now. Nice low blow by Steve. And I think the entire audience has got the same same damn look on their face that, that Vince McMahon does. But now Steve calling for the chair. And here, just you could hear a pin drop of people going, what the fuck? And knowing that Rock's going to move. And he doesn't. So again, they're still, uh, you know, the, the, it just, for me, was just way too confusing at this point. Because there were no clear lines. And it's a main event. I, I would have liked to have seen a main event without all the shenanigans. I don't even mind the shenanigans if they were fucking clear. Can you tell as a fan, did you know what was going on at the time? No. And that's my point. And I guess, you know, Vince's argument was people are going to be guessing. People are wondering what's the hell going on. And that's good because they're engaged. Um, but it was bad confusion. And Steve's trying to be a heel, but the more Steve is a heel, the more they cheer it. Right. And now there's, now they're cheering fucking rock. Giving Steve the rock bottom. And now baby face move because you're getting the heel McMahon in here. But Rock was supposed to be the heel. A nice stunner. Nobody took the stunner like the Rock. What do you think of the Rock style of selling a stunner? <laughs> um, I enjoyed it because he would get up with it. He he would get some height on that damn thing and come down and sell the living shit out of it. Sometimes he would go over the top and go hokey, but I love the way that he did it. He had great timing with it. So this is chair shot number three. From Stone Cold to The Rock, bab bada bang boom. And Earl Hebner for the count. Still not three. And what the hell do they have to do? And I think people at this point knew Rock was going to make a comeback and that Rock was going to beat him here eventually. The looks between Austin McMahon, it just... Holy shit. Just 70,000 plus, man, going, okay, wait a minute. 
What the fuck, Steve? No, Steve, no. Well, yeah, go ahead. Hit him. Hit him some more. Fuck him. And I can tell you, Rock was hurting like a son of a bitch after them chair shots. And the crowd pops, but I think they're still confused. I think they're confused as hell. And and the question on everybody's mind was, why did Vince turn babyface? And nobody, nobody went the other way with, you know, Steve turning heel. And Vince was like, they'll get it once we shake hands. And here, there's the mega power shake right there. God damn it. will be the most powerful entity. And uh, great match. The match itself up until Vince coming out, I thought was spectacular and told a hell of a story. Um, but even here going off of the air, the biggest show of the year. And this was the other thing Vince always hated, you know, blood in WrestleMania, especially for the winner of the match, because he never wanted that picture of them with the championship and having a bloody face. Really? Yeah. Hated it. That's fascinating to me. Hogan had Hogan had it at WrestleMania seven. Yep. Austin's got it here. I don't know if anybody else ever did. Uh, maybe Hogan did at WrestleMania two as well. But you remember really? specifically him not locking it at seven. Hated it. Hey, he, it, in general, um, I forget what, maybe it was Randy and, and Hulk where they wanted to get color and Vince was dead set against it because he didn't want Hulk to be all bloody with the championship at the end. Wanted that victory shot with no blood. People let me tell you about my best friend, not Bruce blue chew. And I'm telling you, it's going to be your lady friend's best friend too. She's going to remember why she fell in love with that rascal. Cause you're going to feel like a younger, more viral man. Okay. Not really. Here's the deal. Blue chew is not just for guys who have a problem. Blue chews for guys who are looking for a five star match. Okay. They want to, uh, <clears throat> go a few extra rounds. Blue chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost daddy. Take them anytime, day or night. So plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Boing. And the process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, bam, you receive that prescription in a few days. The best part, it's all done online. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Bluetooth tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. And I'm telling you, maybe if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform daddy, chew it and do it. Have some better sex, y'all. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free. When you use our promo code WRESTLE at checkout, just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is WRESTLE, and you'll receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we want to thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast and Brother Loves Hog Meat. Hogan starts working the perfect house shows again, and then we get to the Royal Rumble. And this is really one of my favorite moments as a kid. We get the, uh, the first physical confrontation between Hulk and warrior. They're in the ring together at one point and they have a stare down and they're just sort of looking around, checking it out. 
and they're bouncing off the ropes and they crash into each other, but nobody moves after a crisscross Hogan misses a clothesline. Then they clothesline each other. And then barbarian comes in chat me up about the way you guys booked this. Cause you've got two baby faces. Uh, I guess we should mention Hogan comes in at number 25. He eliminates Haku, Jimmy Snuka, and eventually with the help of barbarian and Rick Groot, he gets the warrior out. Um, he also eliminated honky tonk man, um, Rick rude. And then with the help of Mr. Perfect, you know, rude's out of there too. And then Mr. Perfect is the last out. So we'll talk about perfect in a minute. First chat me up about the way the whole warrior thing was booked because this is still etched in my brain. Well, I think that it worked perfectly. It was a test and I, it was a, to sample the audience, see what the audience, how they were going to react to these two guys. It's one thing to imagine. It's one thing to announce and get that reaction. But when you actually have physicality, you feel it. The audience wanted it. They wanted to see, man, they had built up Warrior, who was indestructible up until this point, And you had the one and only Hulk Hogan, who's not yet immortal at this point going up against this indestructible object in the ultimate warrior. They wanted it. They wanted to see more. And that's all that we wanted to test in the Royal rumble was, is there an appetite for this? And there was, and that's what we had been feeling all along. And I think that Vince kind of let's test it. Let's make damn sure is, is this what the audience wants to eat? Well, What's the, what's the reaction in the back? You know, I mean, were you watching this in gorilla when, when Vince sees, you know, the reaction to Hogan and warrior, what's he saying? What's he thinking? You know, I, I have no idea. I don't remember that specific moment. I know after the fact that the feeling was, was good, you know, it wasn't you know, completely different setup back in those days. And it was an overall feeling after the show that, okay, we're on the right track. This, this is money. This is the match. We've got it now. And they didn't, you know, they didn't boo Hogan and they didn't boo warrior. That was important to Vince. Vince didn't want the, the audience to boo either guy. So again, it's hard to, that's, that's the problem with the baby face match though. Eventually you got to pick one or the other. And if you're rooting for one, you're not going to root for the other. So sometimes they're great. Sometimes eh. this one in, in this particular instance, the audience was, was wanting both guys and they wanted to see them collide. Chat me up for a minute about, um, Vince McMahon as a body guy, because it feels like, I mean, according to what we've heard as wrestling fans, that Vince McMahon was a body guy. And while Hogan is really this jacked up, you know, weightlifter, he would even write in his book. When this guy came in, he blew me away. He had been dieting his whole life while I was out drinking and raising hell with the boys from a body standpoint. When, when Vince maybe has his finger on the pulse and thinks, well, maybe they are wanting something new. Hey, if they thought Hogan was big, if they thought Hogan was jacked and a superhero, take a look at this fucking guy. How big of the decision to go with warrior was 
the diet and as Vince would say, the vascularity of the ultimate warrior. Well, he definitely had a unique look and that was a look that Vince liked. Vince was a bodybuilder himself. He was a big fan of bodybuilding. He was a big fan of the discipline, the, the diet and the training. So that was something that appealed to him and it was larger than life. You know, we used to tell a story with strong men where they would, hold two pictures and you'd have superstar Billy Graham in one picture and Paul Anderson, who was the world's strongest man in the other. But if you look at, looked at Paul, Paul looked like a 350 pound tub of goo compared to superstar Billy Graham, who was stronger. Paul Anderson could lift 10 times the weight that superstar Billy Graham could. Um, it was perception. So the perception looking at the ultimate warrior was here was this guy in this tremendous shape and it had to be powerful. Just look at him. Look at the muscles on top of muscles. So, yeah, Vince loved that look. It goes all the way back to superstar Billy Graham and, and those guys that have that kind of discipline. Paul Orndorff and and just it's a discipline. It's it's a way of life. And do you think Vince was enamored with it by comparison? No, I don't know. He was enamored more with it than Hulk because Hulk was still larger than life. Hulk, Hulk was bigger. He was taller. He was bigger. And, you know, I dare say probably more powerful as well. It was just different. It was, it was another look. It was another way to go. Um, they both, you know, they both look great. How much of that do you think was diet? The difference, with between, the difference between the two. Oh God. It's like. It's, it's diet and discipline all the way. So let's talk about, um, warrior and Hogan, you know, he's, he being ultimate warrior has been somebody we've talked about before. And it's maybe been, I don't know, not always talked about glowingly by you. What was the relationship like prior to WrestleMania six? I mean, you almost never hear anybody say, oh man, warrior was my best friend. So you don't really hear guys talk about how much they enjoy traveling with warrior or training with warrior or being with warrior, but we're about to have a big moment here. What was the relationship like at this point between Hogan and warrior? I think that I don't, you know, I don't really know. I, I want to say that there was a mutual respect, but also there was probably a little bit of friction. Because here's the young new guy coming up, and Hulk knows that uh, Vince is is going with the new kid, and I think that there was a little bit of of jealousy, a little bit of just um, we'll see, friction. brother. Follow that, yeah. brother. Right, and that's natural. And, I mean, it's competitive. Definitely, and there there was you know the only guy that I ever remember. You talk about people traveling with Warrior. The only guy I, I ever remember Warrior traveling with was Kerry Von Erich. And I, I think Kerry Von Erich uh, was one of the just <laughs> a sweet human being that, that kind of liked everybody. But he, that's the only guy I remember Warrior traveling with. Why do you think that was? I mean, what do you think it was about Warrior that other guys didn't jive with? I think. Again, Warrior was a unique guy. He had his very strong beliefs. He also was, he was very disciplined, and he had to eat certain foods at certain times during the day. He wasn't a big partier. He didn't like to go out and uh, get trashed and 
drink a whole bunch and not care. He was more concerned with eating his 17th chicken breast and getting his second workout in. So he was, he was a bit of a different animal in, in that regard. He was, he was very business and it was all about the bottom line and the dollar. He, he wasn't in love with the wrestling business. It wasn't about, wow, I'm going to go out and have the best match or wow, I'm going to go out and, and tear the house down. Or I really love this because I always wanted to be a wrestler. It was, what's my check going to be this week? Is there any sort of, you know, when Vince is going to go with a guy, we've always heard that he really attaches himself to that guy and really starts to develop a relationship with his champion. Was, was Hogan interested in trying to do any of that with warrior or was it just another day at work and I'm going to put him over because that's what Vince asked, but this shit ain't going to work. You know, we were, we were all asked to help warrior and we did. I think everybody stepped up, you know, Vince was going to help warrior along every single step and keep him from falling on his face. He asked Hogan to help him out. And from what I could see, Hogan did help him out. Savage helped him out. There were a lot of guys. DiBiase helped him out. There were a lot of guys that stepped up to say, Hey Jim, let me help you. The, I think that the main issue was it wasn't necessarily reciprocal. It was, nor was it, um, welcome on warriors part. It was, he, I think he looked at those guys as being jealous of him and trying to sabotage him versus trying to help him. All right. So let's talk about what did take off WrestleMania six. That's the first WrestleMania that takes place outside of the United States. It draws 67,678 fans on April 1st, 1990 inside the sky dome. And, uh, one of my favorite WrestleMania opens ever, cause we've got the images of ultimate warrior and Hulk Hogan in the galaxy and this tremendous Vince McMahon voiceover. You can guess how it finishes, right? Bruce, the two most powerful forces in the universe, Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior prepare to explode. It's champion versus champion title for title. It's the ultimate challenge. It's wrestle media. I was drooling during that one. What the fuck are you doing? It's time for you to take a nap. Uh, no, I'd like to. I'd like to go, but I gotta. Well, you know. So the lead I up, drooled all over my desk, all over my papers, everything. Look at this. Look at this. It's drool. Do you see that? It's drool. Okay, I know y'all can't see, but I'm holding up a paper. It's got drool. I'm like Bruce. We're doing a fucking podcast. We we're not on the network anymore. We got kicked off. All right. But I can see you. Yes, but they can't see us. Oh. We went from an audience of millions to an audience of one. That's what that's what we're doing with our lives now. Okay. I got you know <laughs> this drill's taking longer to dry than your bird dogs do. I'll tell you that right now. The hell? WrestleMania Wait, Can I go now? Okay. So in the lead up to this match, we see warrior have a confrontation with earthquake and earthquake goes to, uh, jump off the second rope and Hogan runs out and knocks earthquake out of the ring. 
A few weeks later on Superstars, Hogan's wrestling Earthquake, and Earthquake hits him with the Earthquake Splash. Warrior comes out, takes out Earthquake, then he and Hogan have a confrontation. Warrior starts to hit the ropes, and Hogan turns his back and starts to leave the ring. Warrior raises his arm like he's going to clothesline him from behind. Hogan turns around. They face off again. So it's the first time that two baby faces are going to headline. It's also the first time we've got title versus title. Did you guys have a lot of, or any concern about how this might go over? I mean, obviously you had suggested that, you know, you turn Hogan into the bad guy. Was it ever even discussed that warrior might be the heel here? No, it wasn't. Um, Vince, Vince was steadfast on that and felt that warrior was, was going to be that stone cold baby face, not as in Steve Austin, but that he would be a true blue baby face all the way. You know, the other thing in getting in this, I know we got into this argument when we talked about WrestleMania six in the archives was Vince kept stressing to us, you know, God damn it. It's not title for title, but yet everything we did was about you know, title for title intercontinental championship versus WWF championship. Um, and, and when all was said and done, warrior relinquished the intercontinental championship. So it was a little kabuki ish to say the least, but it was what it was. Chat me up a little bit here because I want to talk about the contract signing. And we've talked about this before, but you guys most recently did this at WrestleMania three. You didn't do it for four. You didn't do it for five, but you're bringing it back for six. Why was it done this way? Just something different. And it was, you know, the two biggest stars in the company. It was a huge event to make it a little bit different and just give that importance and make the match even more special. So of course this has one of the, um, the best promos ever, <laughs> you know, the, the actual uh, the, the rocket ship warrior promo who's producing some of these at the time, man, this is, this is basically Vince here. You cut a promo, you cut a promo. And that's what these guys come up with. It wasn't written. It wasn't, you know, and then you talk about, no, it was what was in that goose head. Of course, that night is a lot like WrestleMania three, where we just talked about whether they did the press conference. Well, they're also riding a cart to the ring, just like WrestleMania three, uh, warrior refuses to ride the cart runs down, does the normal routine. Um, can you imagine how goofy in hindsight it would have looked to have the ultimate warrior ride the cart to the ring? Warrior was never going to ride the cart. Neither one of them were that, that was you, Everybody else rode the cart and the main event, both those guys, Warrior was going to do his normal entrance running to the ring and Hogan was walking to the ring just like he did at, at WrestleMania three. Chat me up about the way they put this match together, because this is widely regarded as being the ultimate warriors best match ever. You know, this and WrestleMania seven, the next year against uh, Randy Savage. And a lot of people even think this is one of Hogan's best matches. Of course, we know Warrior's going to get the win after roughly 23 minutes. Hogan misses the leg drop. Warrior hits him with the splash and gets the clean one, two, three. And it's the first time Hogan had been pinned clean since like the end of 83 in the WWF. How much credit does Pat Patterson deserve for this one? You know, Pat worked with, with Hogan and Warrior and they had started putting this thing together probably about a week or two ahead of time. And everybody uh all three guys well i'll, I'll say four guys because earl hebner 
was a big part of that as well. They put a lot of thought into that match, and, and Pat got in the ring with them and worked countless hours putting this thing together so that it would be the match that it turned out to be. Again, you can put together the greatest match in the world. If the talent can't pull it off, it's going to be the drizzling shits. So hats off to, to both Warrior and Hogan for pulling it off and making it what it was. We covered all of this, of course, in our WrestleMania 6 episode in the archives, if you'd like to check it out. When it's all said and done, you know, a lot of people were critical of the way Hogan handed over the belt. And they say that, you know, maybe he, um, took some of warriors moment, but I guess it was supposed to be a passing of the torch. What'd you think about the ending with, with Hogan handed him the belt? Man, I, I thought it was apropos. I thought it was the old champion endorsing the new champion for me. It worked. And I thought that it was. It was good. Who's, you know, who was left in the ring? We wanted to see Hogan right out, you know, defeated at the end. Monsoon had the line, you know, he's immortal. That's where we started. The immortal was right there that night. That one line was definitely fed to Monsoon, um, in the production meeting beforehand. And it, it was that part of it was all laid out. Who pushed the word immortal? Vince. He's a mortal. So it would be bigger than the championship because now he is the immortal Hulk Hogan. What was, um, I mean, Pat Patterson has talked about when he watched the finish of this match, he had went and found Vince and they watched it at a spot in the arena. So fans were around, although they probably didn't know that was Vince and Pat. And he says when Hogan was pinned, they both had tears in their eyes which I've always found sort of fascinating because it insinuates that they knew it was like a, a big deal. It was a passing of the torch or, or whatnot. So listen, if you've ever seen me and heard me, you know, two things right away. Number one, I like to eat. And number two, I like to save money. Well, here's the deal. The wait is over quality steak, free shipping period. The backyard butchers restaurant quality steak boxes are now available online. You can get steakhouse quality bulk meat specials that have been responsibly sourced from American farms delivered right to your door. And right now for a limited time, Backyard Butchers is offering our listeners 15% off plus free shipping. And oh yeah, how about this? Four free ribeyes for life with every subscription. Now let me explain. You can not only get the best steak you've ever had, but the best pork and the best chicken. And I have hooked up so many people with Backyard Butchers. They're overwhelmed with how much meat's in the box. They're overwhelmed with the value. I can't believe this is real, but it's cheaper than a grocery store. You're cutting out the middleman grocery stores and you're going straight to the heartland of America. We're talking American farms to get that hundred percent American beef, pork, and chicken. But most importantly, it's fresh. It's safely packaged and it's delivered to your door in an eco-friendly insulated box. The meat is perfect, but their customer service over at backyard butchers, man, you just can't beat it. They're open seven days a week at backyardbutchers.com. You can even chat with their butchers online. Now, I want to mention this about Backyard Butchers. There's no memberships or subscriptions necessary, but I challenge you to check it out, and I think you're going to reorder. But I also want to mention, if you choose to subscribe, guys, you can cancel any time, but I want to remind you, when you subscribe, you get four free ribeyes for life with every subscription. You're going to love the price. You're going to love the ease. You're going to love the quality. You're going to love the taste. It's been a game changer in my house. We got meat for days and it's all thanks to backyard butchers. 
I can't recommend it enough. Get 15% off, get free shipping and four free ribeyes for life. You want to talk about outkicking your coverage. You want to talk about beating the grocery store price? How is it possible? You'll thank me later when you visit backyardbutchers.com. Just click on the online shop and order. Remember, no subscriptions and no memberships are necessary. So why wait? Get your hands on some of the best steak, pork, and chicken you'll ever taste and make your next steak night an event to remember. Just visit backyardbutchers.com and use the promo code WRESTLE. You'll get 15% off plus free shipping and four, 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 four free ribeyes for life at backyardbutchers.com. Use that promo code WRESTLE. Uh, next up, we've got, in my worldview, the main event. Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, this was built up for a long time. They had a match over the summer uh, overseas that was released on Coliseum Video. Then, of course, uh, Bret is gone. Stone Cold starts calling him out. Bret returns, accepts the challenge in October, and they face each other at the Garden at Survivor Series but we're not done yet. They continue their feud. Uh, Stone Cold is the winner of the Raw Rumble after screwing Bret Hart at the Rumble match itself. They face each other in the final four. That doesn't go as everybody hopes. The the go-home show for Raw, they screw Bret again. So this slow, subtle turn starts to happen. And there's lots of great promos building this up from Stone Cold's side where he says something along the lines of, if Brett had been screwed as many times as he says, he would have struck oil by now. Uh, I ain't bringing a condom to the ring, but I'm bringing a hell of a can of whoop-ass. All these little catchphrases, he really starts to get on and get over the bottom line, et cetera, et cetera. And I believe this is Stone Cold's coming out party you know, from a WrestleMania standpoint, I think the seeds, you know, he was legitimized at Survivor Series. He became a superstar at the Royal Rumble, but he became the guy, at least in my view, here at WrestleMania. Would you agree with that? Wholeheartedly. Uh, the entrance is fucking awesome. If you have not seen this match, when we're done with this podcast today and you're finished, you need to go watch it today. It's one of the best matches in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, that's not just my opinion. That's a motherfucking fact. Kurt Hawkins would agree. Uh, so go check it out. WrestleMania 13. It's an I quit match. Let's talk about why it's I quit. It seems kind of cornball that it's a submission match. It's an I quit match. And you've got Ken Shamrock here. They interview him, you know, beforehand. Pettengill does in the back. And he says, well, I'm here because I understand submissions. And they show a clip from Raw where he is taking down Rockabilly Billy Gunn and kind of embarrassing him on Raw with a couple of different spots. And he keeps saying, I wasn't trying to hurt him. I was just trying to show him who I am. And he's in the back with his necklace and his jumpsuit looking like he's an extra from The Sopranos. And uh, then he comes out in a painted-on um, referee shirt. <laughs> uh What's the thinking in making Ken Shamrock the referee? Just to introduce Ken in a different way and put him in a top match and get Ken right into the top picture and put him in there with stars to introduce him. How? It was just a different way to get him out there. 
When did you start drug testing Ken Shamrock? The week after? <laughs> this motherfucker looks like Hulk Hogan circa 1987 right here in his referee shirt. Am I wrong? Kenny still looks like that. Well, uh, Bellator doesn't drug test. Let's get to the match itself. Stone Cold has said that this match was kind of difficult for him because he didn't really even have a fucking submission move. Uh, and so he's in the I quit match with no submission moves. And that's kind of evidenced by the match. It starts off as a, as a brawl. Stone Cold comes out first. The glass breaks with the Austin 316. Out next is Brett. And the announcers are really laying it on heavy here about, um, you know, Brett and his recent reactions and the way he's been handling himself. And they're just really laying it on thick. And I think they do a great job in trying to tease this turn before it becomes very apparent. Uh, And you certainly see more of it unfold during the course of the match. Stone Cold starts off with a brawl right away. They're in the ring just for a few seconds, and then they're outside the ring, up and over the rail in front of Atlas and Albano, up the stairs, fighting through the crowd, uh, just all over everywhere. What did you think of the match? Loved it. Loved every bit of it. The way Steve started it with the double leg and the way that they rolled around on the mat to start it, it was a fight. In addition to that, the way that the announcers told the story of that Austin didn't have a submission maneuver, but that he was going to beat the hell out of Brett until he quit. So it, it, it did tell the story of Brett is a submission guy, and he does know a lot of submissions. Steve doesn't, but he'll beat the hell out of him so much that Brett will want to quit. So the, the setup, I thought, was great, and these guys told a beautiful story in the match. Let's talk about one of the more famous segments. Um, I guess before we do that, we should talk about the fact that I think Brett did one of his better jobs here of isolating a body part and working on a body oh. part. It becomes very realistic. I mean, the way he works on the leg and and the way Austin sells everything. Uh, a lot of people kind of sleep on Austin as an in-ring performer. This is maybe the height of his career here as far as in-ring stuff. The dude is just a phenomenal next-level in-ring performer, and people just really focus on the character and the promos. And don't get me wrong, that's all awesome, too. But his selling here and his work here is just fucking awesome. And I think a lot of people kind of forget that he's capable of this. Um, But the way Brett worked on the leg, man, it just told the story. And Austin helped a great deal with that, of course. But at some point, they go to the outside. Uh, You see Brett start to prepare himself. Uh, Austin starts to Irish whip uh, Hitman into the rail, and uh, Brett reverses it. So Brett goes over, zips Austin. Uh, He admits he hadn't bled a lot in his career at that time. He asked Brett to do it for him. He does it, and the blood really adds to the match, and this one maybe more so than most uh, because the story here is – Austin just won't quit. He ha- he has the will to win and to not quit, and he'll pass out before he'll quit. He's just not going to quit. And at one point, he breaks the sharpshooter, so it seems they put over that nobody's ever done that, but Brett doesn't release the hold. 
Uh, earlier in the match, we, we saw the figure four around the ring post, which was very innovative at the time, something that Bret Hart doesn't get enough credit for because people still use it today. And uh, his his knee is, is giving out. He's already wearing a brace. And now he's pouring blood out. Just an iconic photo of himself as he's pushing out of the sharpshooter and blood's coming down his face and through his mouth and his teeth. Uh, and then he doesn't respond to Ken Shamrock. When he's asking, if you don't tell me no, I'm going to stop the fight. He doesn't respond. Ken rings the bell. Brett's a little reluctant to break the hold. A few seconds later, Brett starts attacking the unconscious Austin again, kicking him in the leg. And uh, eventually, Shamrock has to belly-to-back suplex him off. And the double turn is complete. So Austin eventually comes to a referee tries to uh, console him or help him. He gives the referee a stunner. He leaves to Austin chance. Meanwhile, Brett is walking down the aisle, flipping off fans saying, fuck you to him. So we have a complete double turn with a crybaby Brett Hart and a badass heel who is too cool for school, who's now a badass babyface, and Steve Austin. Is this the best double turn ever? I think so. Yeah, without a doubt. The The story told by these guys, the match laid out, you know, with Brett. Brett's a master of painting a picture in the ring. And as you said, the picture that he painted was he was going to isolate that leg and isolate that knee and hurt Steve. And Steve Selling was off the chisar. It's incredible. But the story that they told, and they got everybody over. But there was one key thing, and I mentioned this when we first started this podcast about Chris Jericho and what made what made Chris Jericho such a great heel were the nuances. If you go back and you watch this at the very end when Shamrock, after Shamrock pulls Brett off and Brett starts to come into Shamrock, Brett just suddenly takes that one step back. Yep. Away from, you know, showing that respect to Shamrock. And and right there, everything that you had done up until that point, that made your heel because he backed up. And he was a chicken shit for that second. And if you weren't sure up until that point, that was the one little subtlety that Brett did that took you over the edge. You go, no, Brett, come on, not my Brett. And he took you the rest of the way. And that, to me, is, is just the art of the business that I love so much. The Observer wrote, an incredible brawl from bell to bell with psychology and timing, the likes of which you'll only see when the best go against each other. Uh, He also says, this is one we'll remember for a long time and gives it five stars. Uh, I can't remember. Would have been six stars if it was in the Tokyo Dome. I love you for that. Uh, I love this match. I think it's one of the best matches ever, certainly at the top of my list. I can't recommend it enough. You need to go out of your way to watch this. Uh, if you've never seen it, if you've seen it a thousand times, go fucking watch it again. It'll remind you why you're a fan. But why wouldn't you just put Austin and Brett in the main event? It seems like that's what everybody wanted to see. I think, well, I, I'll give you that answer. And the reason is, is that Vince at love- that time did see something in Austin and was really feeling something with Austin. 
but he wanted it to play out and he wanted that build. I'm not sure that he saw everything that he got until really that night with Tyson. I mean, we, we saw, man, that, that Austin build is one just unique motherfucking build that happened right underneath your nose and there was no denying it. And then all of a sudden it was pedal to the metal. When do you think, when do you remember Austin being like Vince saying, this is the guy I'm not trying it anymore. I know this is the guy Did he know after WrestleMania 13 or was there another show in particular? He knew he knew at 13. I, I dare say he probably knew at survivor series the year before the stuff that Austin did, uh, which I've talked about on this show before, behind the chain link fence and with the dogs barking, yeah. hey, Brett, I got, you know, and all that. That was where everybody all of a sudden turned their head and said, oh, shit, we got something here. By now, you've probably heard the same commercials on Something to Wrestle for years. And you might say to yourself, self, why do these people keep advertising? Because it really works. You see, with our super targeted audience, we can pretty much guarantee to deliver you men between the age of 25 and 54. And if that's who you're looking for, we got them. Hurry to advertisewithbruce.com and find out how easy it is to let something to wrestle grow your business. That's advertisewithbruce.com. Hey guys, it's the hardcore legend Mick Foley here and I need to call a quick timeout, a brief timeout because I wanted to tell your listeners what I have been telling Foley is Pod listeners for a while now about all the cool things happening over on adfreeshows.com. Adfree Shows gives you early ad-free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts, including The Snake Pit with Jake Roberts. This week, The Snake welcomed the devil himself, Kevin Sullivan, to the program. I'm ready to go out, and I see Ming coming back. And all of a sudden, they threw a cinder block and hit him on the shoulder oh, from the oh. roof. He dropped to a knee, but he just shook it off and came in. If they oh. hit him in the head, it would kill them. David Crockett joins Conrad for an all-new edition of The Book as they go day by day through February 1985 with the help of Jim Crockett's original booking log. And what a pivotal month it was as WrestleMania 1 is right around the corner and Jim Crockett Promotions is running in Vince's own backyard. In that area, knew him, knew his reputation. It's a working class audience. Uh, they like the style of our wrestling and you put Dusty and Backlund together, they're, you know, opposites, but they attract and, and they make it work. This month marks the 35-year anniversary of one of the most memorable angles in wrestling history, the famous twin referee angle on the main event. And Ad-Free Shows members got to watch it back live alongside Earl Hebner on our latest premium watch-along event. I got to dress, I got to use uh, Andre's dressing room after all this happened. And uh, Andre just loved me. I mean, he just wanted me basically always be his ref. And Hogan loved me to death. That's just a small taste, a sampling, if you will, of what we have waiting for you. With four levels to choose from. Four. See for yourself why ad-free shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now, right now, at adfreeshows.com. 
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? Yeah, how many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.